It's time to admit that culture has infiltrated our relationships, that feel good first attitude, that happy ending complex and the misinformation we get about sex are all things we've been sold, we've pursued and they've led to empty promises. It's time to call these things out and get our relationships on the right track. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. What is happening, blended family and friends? I hope you guys are doing well, if not absolutely thriving. I hope that the content as of late has been good. We've been talking about relationships. And again, I am a man of feedback. So if you want to hit me with something again, you can go to the Instagram at navigating the blend or you can send an email at renew you dot live at gmail.com let me know what's going on if some of the tools that i've been addressing you've been applying them and it's been helpful it's always good to to hear how this is going because for me i'll listen back and i'm just like oh my gosh who is this man who is this guy that is speaking to me it's me it works so just let me know if it's working out for you but again we are going to remain In this lane, as we talk about relationships, we are going to specifically focus on the influence of culture. So culture's influence on how we perceive relationships and the impact that culture has on how we go about doing relationships like in practice, in operation. And I know some of us are just like culture has nothing to do with my decisions and the way that I move, the way that I think, but you would be surprised by how much of an impact that what we are surrounded by our literal environment and the systems in place, how they have some level of influence in ourselves and therefore our relationships. But before we get going, it is important for me to describe or define what culture is. And I personally believe that culture consists of the customs and the systematic operation of things within a certain realm, a certain environment, such as within our homes. We can reference the city that we live in or the state, but the widespread cultural influence that we're subject to within the United States and via our online access to pretty much the entire planet. That's what I'll be referencing when I'm talking about the influence of culture. So for those of you that say that the influence of culture is just not something that's applicable to you, I would say that you're a liar. (laughs) I used to be one of those people that thought that it doesn't matter what time, what year I was born in, whether it was 1836 or 100 BC, um, I'd be the same person 
then that I am today. It doesn't matter the location or the home that I grew up in and all of these environmental circumstances. Regardless, I would be the same person at that point that I am today. And that is just not the truth. It really isn't. I mean, think about something as simple as an accent. Like depending on where you grew up in the United States alone, you likely have some type of twang or some type of speech pattern that you can credit to the environment that you grew up in. Like sometimes I travel and I'm like, yo, I I talk like a normal person. The English language, I'm killing it. This is how it's done. I go somewhere else and then... They just suggest that I I live on surfboards <laughs> and I'm just like, bro, and my speech is like chill. It's like slower. You know, maybe it's just a me thing, but supposedly this is like a California thing. And this is not something that I chose. This accent chose me, you know, living out in California. This is just how it goes. And it's a result of me being subject to the environment that I've lived within. And it's something that happens at the subconscious level. I never pick and chose what my accent would be because if anything, I'd choose the guys that are in Australia. You know what I mean? That that is hot. I, I respect it. I really enjoy those accents. If I could do it, I would. OK, but I can't. And I'm so tempted to try it right now on this podcast, but I'm not trying to embarrass myself. But if I were to choose, that would be the one. However, this was a subconscious thing, again, that happens as a result of the environment that I'm in, the culture that I am immersed in. That is an extremely simple example of the way in which culture can have influence on the way that we operate and do things and best believe that this absolutely applies to the way in which we do relationships. And I feel as if this is something that all of us have been subject to. There comes a point in time where we have to hit the pause button and we have to ask ourselves, like, is this the way that relationships are supposed to be done? Is this the way that I want to do relationships? And is this what is best for the both of us, me and my partner, as well as my kids, our family, is this what's best? Or are there some other factors that may have seeped into our thinking and our functioning that are hindering us from reaching that level of operation that we believe is at our disposal? So if you are a regular on this podcast, you know me and you know that I like to call things out. I like to shine a light on the things that have likely been operating in our lives to some degree that have been debilitating, things that have held us back or that have just been a straight up hindrance in our lives. And while culture has fed us a ton of misinformation as to what relationships are and how they should be conducted, I just want to focus on a few things that honestly have operated in my life personally, and I've seen it operating. I see it operating 
in a ton of other people's lives and relationships. So let's call it out, people. The first one that we're going to address is the feel good first attitude or belief that has invaded, again, our thinking in general. And this also invades our relationships and how we go about doing them. The feel good first attitude. And I'd say the major problem with this one is that it is contrary to commitment, because when you think about commitment, that word in and of itself isn't associated with emotional highs or the constant feeling of pure elation and joy. Are those things possible? Are those things accessible within commitment? Absolutely. 100%. But I think most of us know that these things come in ebbs and flows in from one season to another. However, culture is just like whatever makes you happy, the thing that makes you feel good, go for that. And when you hear this over and over and over and over again, this is, again, not something that you necessarily came into agreement with verbally. And we're just like, you're right. Whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good. But it's just a message that you continue to receive. And if it's not fought against, then you adopt it. And then your thinking is all of a sudden, whatever makes me uncomfortable is not meant to be. So on the job, if things get challenging, whether relationally or your task seems insurmountable, then it's possible that you'll be quitting soon because it doesn't feel good. Or as soon as we hit a wall within the relationship we have with our significant other, we're just ready to bail because this is no longer fun. No longer am I riding that six month wave of pure elation. Now this requires work and I'm not sure I'm willing to work because it doesn't always feel good. And what attributes to this issue is the amount of options that we have at our disposal. Options are absolutely amazing, but it is also a double edged sword. Because while options may give us an opportunity to make the best decision or the most profitable move, they also allow us to be indecisive or they keep us from committing entirely to the decision that we made. Because in the back of our head, we are aware of the fact that there are other options. And if you have Netflix this is something that you have experienced. I am not the only person listening that has scrolled for a time span of up to 45 minutes, maybe an hour, just like just like scrolling. Like this is time me and my wife are spending together, quote unquote, date night, or maybe the kids are to bed. And we're just like, let's indulge in something, something good, a good movie, a good show, whatever, scrolling for 45 minutes to an hour. All of these options, it's beautiful that we have them. However, my wife is asleep now and the flirtation is over. Now I'm lonely. <laughs> this is this is just my personal experience, but it's amazing again, to have so many options, but it also cripples us and it can dilute our ability to commit to things. So while feeling good is not a bad thing, it shouldn't necessarily be a black and white absolute. 
Like if it doesn't feel good, I'm not with it. I'm not for it. That is the thinking and the functioning that we want to avoid. But at the same time, we do want to strive for good because that tends to produce that good feeling within us. Like when we are being generous, when we work hard at something and we accomplish a goal that's more process oriented and that doesn't provide the immediate hit of pleasure and dopamine that culture is trying to convince us to pursue primarily, but there is absolute satisfaction, real, genuine satisfaction that's available to those of us that are willing to put in the work and actually exercise commitment to something. So that is the first issue, in my opinion, when it comes to culture's influence on our relationships. And that's, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to get into it, guys. That's number one. Number two, I'd say there's a bit of a relation between the feel good first belief or attitude in this one. Um, but I feel like this separates itself a bit. And that being the happy ending complex, the happy ending complex that we have. I mentioned it, I believe, in the last episode, but we've watched a lot of Disney movies. We saw Cinderella. Okay, Cinderella was tripping, both literally and figuratively. Get it? Literally, like she tripped, she lost her shoe. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> and then there's that other one with the seven dwarfs. I totally forget what it's called. I would be so mad when I listen back and I know exactly what that movie was called. But eventually, uh, the prince came while she was asleep permanently, whatever, kissed her. And today's, you know, culture, that's no consent. You know what I mean? You're going to jail. You're going to prison. You're you've been canceled. <laughs> but <laughs> at that point in time, we're just like, oh, my gosh, she's so sweet. She's alive now. Nah, bro, you're going to jail. <laughs> you're going to prison. Uh, but we see these movies, especially when we're young. And all we see is happy endings. They tend to end on this mountaintop experience. And we're thinking like, hey, we are going to ascend to that point in our life. We're going to have this happy ending and we are going to remain on that mountaintop. There are no valleys in sight, but that is just not reality. That is culture's depiction of what's attainable. But what culture does not depict is what's sustainable and that emotional height of everything being in perfect order in place. We're perfectly matched and in love. That is not something the feeling is not sustainable. It is not. And coming down from this high does not mean that you're not good for one another. It doesn't mean that you're not with the right person. It simply means that the foundation of your relationship will not be built on emotional highs or events in particular that were especially enjoyable. Building a relationship together was meant to be this tedious process that takes time and effort. So the first time, the fifth time, tenth time a storm comes along. Your house isn't blown down. Your situation does not implode because the investment was very intentional. So while we can look forward to moments 
where we will likely experience emotional highs. Like eventually me and my wife, we want to go to Jamaica. We want to head out there. And that is a dream vacation spot for us. And that is absolutely going to be a mountaintop emotional high experience. But it's not the ending. It's a continuation of the process that we've been a part of. So look forward to it. But don't be driven by it. Being driven by those mountaintop experiences makes those lows, the valleys or the mundane where you guys are just existing and being partners or co-parenting. Those moments can, for some reason, be frustrating or feel empty and purposeless to some people. And that's likely because they were promised a Disney movie. And those always consist of remaining on the mountaintop. And that's just not what it is in reality. And there are many of us that to some degree deal with this complex. Um, But there is a significant portion of people that have this complex that suffer from the crippling belief of I deserve to be happy. I deserve this amazing outcome and for things to kind of just work out and fall in my lap. It's almost like I want a cake, an amazing cake with the perfect icing and flavoring, all that stuff. But I either do not know how to make it. So I'm disinterested and the process is frustrating or I don't even want to engage the process of making this cake and the cake being the relationship people. Okay. If you didn't get that, the relationship, I don't know how to make it work, but I just want it to work or I am just not willing to invest that energy into this thing that I feel should just always be amazing. And again, that kind of goes back to the feel good first, because commitment does not always feel good. Effort, intention, and your duty, doing your duty or holding up your end of the deal in this partnership, it doesn't always feel good. And one last thing that I'd suggest looking out for when it comes to the happy ending complex. You can either identify yourself as someone that struggles with this or someone else based on the fact that they go from relationship to relationship. This is likely a person that has not been by themselves, just existing by themselves, absent of another person, a partner for more than a year. If this person is constantly in relationships, even as a single parent, like after separating or getting a divorce six months later, they're in another relationship without having time to grieve or process whatever the case. This is likely someone that is suffering from the happy ending complex because they are absolutely in pursuit of that mountaintop experience, because guess what is not? A mountaintop experience, the rejection of a relationship coming to an end. So while there may be a ton of other things in play that gives someone the drive to operate in this way, as far as bouncing from relationship to relationship, it is likely that the happy ending complex is a part of that. So taking the time to look at ourselves and be like, hey, is this me? Can I exist absent of a relationship or being on guard for someone else that is 
operating in this way. If you're interested in someone that goes from relationship to relationship to relationship, it's possible that you will simply be a means to an end. They're really in pursuit of that feeling of the happy ending and they will use you to get there. And when they are done with you, you will be disposed of. As rude as that sounds, it's possible that they will move on to another situation that will again allow them to achieve the happy ending that they are absolutely fixated on. So watch out for that individual. That is not a situation that you want to find yourself in. So the happy ending complex is the second thing I wanted to talk about as far as cultural influence within our relationships. Number three is a huge one. That being sex, we got to talk about it. Our culture has made sex this incredibly powerful driving force behind relationships. But let me rephrase that. Our culture has made selfish pleasure an incredibly powerful driving force. Let me rephrase that even further. Our culture has made ejaculation. I said it. It's it's insane. But our culture has made just simply ejaculating an incredibly powerful driving force behind relationships. I'm sorry that I have to keep it 1000, but that is where we have arrived culturally. Sex is officially considered recreational, like like I'm going down the street to play basketball with some guys that I may or may not know, like recreational, like the equivalent. That's the term being associated with sex. And it's so far from just that sex by design is meant to establish and strengthen the bond between one individual and another. They are literally being stimulated throughout our entire bodies for the sake of both pleasure and connection. And that connection is physical, it's spiritual, and it's emotional. Like it is a connection of great depth. And the wiring of our brain, we're literally creating a path whereby we associate the height of pleasure and the depth of connection with this individual in particular. And as we continue to repeatedly have sex with this particular individual, both the height of the pleasure and the depth of the connection are meant to increase. And if you consider these ramifications of having sex, it makes sense that it's conducted with someone that you are in an extremely committed marital relationship with someone that you intend to be with for the long run. This is not something that was meant to be shared with multiple people. Imagine sharing this experience and therefore creating this attachment with a ton of people. It's just extremely apparent that it's not supposed to be that way. And yet I grew up in a culture that literally told me that I should have sex with as many women as I possibly can before I get married so that I can get it out of my system. And me being a young idiot, I accept that because it's just like, okay, I guess that makes sense. That's how it works. But when you think of conditioning, if I'm used to operating in this certain capacity, how is it that I'm going to all of a sudden commit to one woman for the rest of my life when I'm familiar 
with options. Marrying someone after experiencing however many partners will only go against my conditioning as I attempt to commit to one person, but I'm so familiar again with doing otherwise. And studies have shown the more sexual partners that an individual has had prior to marriage, that increases the likelihood of separation taking place. That's because this person is so familiar with the process of attaching to someone and then detaching because it takes that in order to have sex with multiple people. Obviously, it's an intimate experience and it allows for us to connect with a person in a powerful way. But if you are ready to engage in that practice with another person, um, then you are essentially detaching from the last, attaching to another, detaching from that one. And just this process, it messes with people's head and it keeps them from valuing, number one, the person that they're engaging with, number two, themselves, because you can only value people as much as you value yourself. And then there's the practice of sex. There is just lost so much value. It's something that we've been given as a tool in order to create bond and strengthen family. Like when my wife and I, when we have sex, our family is better for it because our bond is strengthened. She and I at this point are flirting hard, doing well. We're literally, again, more attached to one another because we're experiencing the physical high, the depth of emotional, spiritual connection, and we're better for it. However, culture is using this tool in such a way that it is dividing us. We are so misinformed and therefore deceived and we're hurting ourselves and other people. And don't get me started on pornography. There is no better way to learn dehumanization than to indulge in that stuff. And again, this is something that I have fallen victim of. Culture told me that it was healthy and there's not a problem with it. But culture had no answer for the conviction, for the guilt, for the shame or the frustration that would follow such an experience. Culture did not inform me that watching that trash would be detrimental to my relationships, my self-esteem and could potentially have a negative impact when I do enter into that marriage relationship and its growing prevalence is insane. Like I am a fan of Saturday Night Live and I feel like every episode or every other episode, there's this reference to specifically like pornography and adultery is almost celebrated. And there's just these things that are associated with culture that we're supposed to accept as the norm. But in reality, in our real life, these things are so destructive, like they cause divorces, they cause deep hurt and pain. But culture continues to suggest that if it feels good, it is good and leaves it at that. While we have to pick up the pieces of our lives after making mistakes that we thought were in our best interest and the process of relearning something that we were taught, the process of rewiring and renewing our mind and our understanding of things while in the middle of a relationship 
is one of the more difficult things that we'll ever do, but it is necessary if we want our relationships and our families to thrive. So don't accept culture and its influences at face value. Challenge your own thinking and your way of doing things by honestly asking yourself, is my thinking my own? Are my behaviors my own or has culture infiltrated my understanding of what's best for me, what's best for my relationship and what's best for my family? So there's no denying the fact that culture is a factor and there is a degree of influence that it has on us and within our relationships. But it's important for us to filter what's coming in, what we believe and what we agree with and to keep culture from existing as the foundation of our relationships. Thanks for tuning in and please subscribe so you don't miss out on any of this blended goodness. It's going down again next Wednesday, but until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.